Distance Daddies. Welcome back to the 15th episode of Distance Daddies. On this episode, we welcome Jeff Merrill, the president of Portland Track and founder and chief intern of the race streaming company Tracklandia. We talk about what Tracklandia all encompasses, how we started it, and how it's changed from its initial inception. We discuss their unique pay model and focus on ensuring the athletes are paid first and foremost, as they're the ones putting it out there for everyone's entertainment. We also discuss how to make the sport more entertaining and keep an audience for the long term, finishing up with our daddy duos of activities that you wouldn't want to leave the house for, unlike Tracklandia's meets that everyone should try to go to or watch on their website. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on Instagram at distance underscore daddies. And with that, let's get into it. Today's episode, we welcome Jeff Merrill, president of Portland Track and founder and chief intern of Tracklandia. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, daddies. <laughs> of course. So I guess to begin, uh, for our listeners who don't know, what is Tracklandia? They may have seen like your Instagram or race sponsored by you, but like, what does that all encompass? I guess it's it's hard to describe whenever I, yeah. It's tough when people ever ask this question because we try to do a bunch of different things. Um, some of them well, others, others we try and uh, we'll keep trying. But uh, I guess to, to narrow the scope, um, we mostly are a production company um, that broadcasts track races and uh, comes up with creative ways to tell stories within the races and around the athletes in them. Uh, and we were kind of born through Portland track to the, uh, the organization in Portland that puts on the Portland track festival and Stumptown twilight and a uh, number of other pop-up meets that we've had in the city. And, uh, yeah, I guess we kind of started as the track landia started as the creative wing of Portland track. And then we kind of branched it off to its own entity because we started doing working events on in the other parts of uh, the country. And yeah, maybe someday worldwide. Nice. How was it? Initially, you guys were kind of like a hour and a half interview stuff. Uh, and then you kind of did more of the racing uh, broadcasting. So like, how did that growth and I guess change from your like initial founding with Andrew Weeding? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, Tracklandia initially started as a kind of interview tonight show style show uh, focused on the track world and an hour and a half, way too long, way too long <laughs> to have something like that, I think. I, um, and we knew that even then, but I was always getting the hook and they're like, you're going way too long. And I just couldn't help myself. I just like being out there talking to people, playing games. Andy would always uh, try and get my goat somehow by like spiking whatever food I was eating or, or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. Making me lose the games that we were playing. But um, yeah. So uh, Andy and I started that back in 2018 as a way to, kind of look at hopefully crack the shell of athletes and and look at their personalities and our idea was to like let's mix their their skill set on the track with their genuine real personalities and hopefully dimensionalize the starting line a little bit so show all of the different players on the starting line uh when they get to a race what are their intentions who are they um how are they going to use the skills that they bring to the table? Um, and my, my thought, actually, my initial idea for the show was I wanted to talk to them because I know and 
for a lot of people in the sport, there's most people watch track racing as um, people are trying to hit certain times and they're all lining up going as fast as they can. That's the way it's portrayed on most broadcasts, but people in the know, we know that there's a game within the race. And we like to talk about that as the game and, and refer to it as that, but there are different players and different, um, different athletes and they, they each have different ways that they play the game. And that changes from race to race too, according to the dynamic of, of what the race is and who the other players are. So they're going to have a different um, approach and way that they use their skill set. And I wanted to talk to athletes and have them tell me like what exactly their hand is basically. And Andy was like, dude, they're never going to tell you that they're never going <laughs> to like, nobody's ever going to sit down and just tell you that. So, um, yeah, we, he, he was pretty adamant about that and he's probably right too, but that kind of evolved into, well, how can we show that, uh, and, and bring people into the game? Because that, I think that's a way to reach a broader audience is if we gamify the race uh, and show the sport as an urgent, imminent competition and not as like, um, oh, look at these people. They've worked so hard. They're trying to get this, like this time standard or something or showcasing an event like they're covering the world's largest pumpkin or something like that. We need, <laughs> we need it to be a competition. But yeah, so that's that's kind of how it started. It started as the show. Um, and then, yeah, Andy's like, and I were like super, we had a really good time with that. And he was super involved with that too. He got a job at On actually. Um, yeah. And so that kind of took him away from working with athletes from other brands. And yeah. he stepped back a little bit. And then we channeled Tracklandia from there to um, more of that creative in the arena style of uh, endeavor. So there are a lot of great uh, writers out there, photographers, podcasters doing amazing things to showcase the sport outside of the arena but we wanted to bring that same kind of magic into the arena and i guess our first foray into that um was the portland 5000 and, and the hunt documentary and that was kind of like this is how we want to showcase racing and even though it was pretty much a time trial setup like the uh um the storylines there and how it was shown as uh as a real kind of event that you come to like a, a, a play or, or a rock show or something like that, um, that came through there. So that's kind of the thread that we try and take through everything that we do now is to build out an event to hopefully make it a cult classic. Yeah. Um, yeah and continue to work back from the finish line in everything that we do to make sure that when when the move is made or the finish line is hit it hits at the highest height that it could possibly be and we've we've built it up to reach that point so that's awesome i don't know i'm rambling a bit i guess <laughs> no you're all good uh i know it was probably not easy initially like kind of doing the streaming stuff and i read your article that you wrote for tempo uh so we're like you the got biggest through that yeah <laughs> dang nice work a couple google pages later uh <laughs> yeah but uh like what were the biggest struggles just like getting that like going for like streaming well i think that like that was an interesting piece and um it could only have happened during the pandemic seems like um because we had we were working with a few different coaches around oregon and the greater Pacific Northwest uh, to put on some meets when it was possible, when we could. Um, and those ended up being the big friendlies. And we initially, yeah, like it, it says in the article and I'll, I'll give the cliff notes because it's a long article, <laughs> so people shouldn't feel the need to read it. But um, yeah, we, and well, the streaming company that we were working with and that we have worked with in the past through Portland track 
was not able to make it out uh, because of COVID to film the first uh, big friendly that we put on, which is a kind of a dual meet between um, the OTC and what was then Pete's Dragons, or that's what we called them. Um, they had a bunch of different nicknames too, but not what is now UAC. Um, yeah, so they couldn't make it out. So we uh, kind of, that's where my good friend JJ Vasquez came on board and he's a associate um, department head at Portland State University in film. And uh, we were like, well, we need to figure out how to uh, stream stream races here because we can do this. And and uh, we were talking with the the streaming company too, and we said, well, we can we can film, produce, and package these events, and we'll just push them through your platform. And they're like, okay, that's great. Um, and unbeknownst to me, like JJ hadn't done something like this before. So we were kind of like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, we can do it. And then, uh, and then after that, we really had to figure out how to make it happen and kudos to JJ and our other buddy, uh, Michael Flotron too, who are, they're both, uh, part of Tracklandia now, but, um, yeah, I talked to Pete Julian after that conversation. Uh, the, he's the coach of Union Athletics Club. And he's like, well, we don't really like the current streaming model uh, because it's behind a paywall. Donovan Brazier is the world champion in the 800 meters. He was then. Um, and it like his race is behind a paywall. He doesn't see any of that money. And his mom has to pay to watch him race. So we don't like that. And I thought, man, Pete, that's a great point. Like, well, these are, we'll see what we can do about that. So at that point we were like, well, if we're going to like film, produce, package these events anyway, why don't we just put them out for free? And um, because at that point we didn't really know how to close the loop on getting athletes paid through it. So that's what we did. We put them out on YouTube and that's where we could kind of, cut our teeth too and figure out how to stream these events using multiple cameras and uh, shaky internet connection like at, at certain <laughs> venues that we were filming from. But yeah, that was kind of our proving ground were the, the five big friendly races in 2020 where we could kind of learn how to, how to film these things. And, um, and then moving to pay-per-view, uh, talking, having a few conversations with the different groups around the country, uh, Jesse Williams down at sound running and Max Paquette down at, uh, or in Memphis and Dave Milner in, in Nashville. Um, we were trying to think through different ideas and how, like what was best for, for these meets that we put on and for the athletes racing in them. And, Jesse said that we should do, we should try the pay-per-view route because that's what many fans have been asking for in the past, not get locked into a membership to just pay a one-time fee. Um, but then also we could push a lot of that money into the prize purse. And we went back and forth a lot and, and like weighed the pros and cons and then decided to do it. And uh, it worked out. I would say it worked out pretty well in 2021 and we, we got a, a fair amount of funding through the prize purse to athletes. Um, and it made athletes feel like they were a part of, uh, or they could, they could improve on, um, uh, their earnings as well, <laughs> which is not something that you can traditionally do in professional track. Like it's, it's linked to sponsorships and, and for apparel brands instead of, directly through competitions prize purse for a lot of these races that are put on even the diamond league is minuscule compared to other major sports so if there's a way that we can kind of put it in the fans hands and say well you're going to pay for this anyway uh, either by a subscription or or some other means why not have that why not have you be able to influence potentially the races that you see and that's where we started. We built out the track lens site and we had the live updating prize purse where every time a ticket is purchased, you can see the, the numbers roll up and, and the prize purse get bigger and we gave the ability to sweeten the pot uh, so people can add more. And we keep tinkering with different 
ways to improve that system too. And I'm not, I'm not beholden to anything like, like this either. I'm not like a, a do or die pay-per-view guy. It's, we want to, and we're not attached to, to anybody. We're self-funded. Um, so we have the ability to kind of make these assessments and try things out, do trial runs for things and then, uh, and fail and, and see what we can do from there. But uh, if there's a better route than pay-per-view, if then we'll take that route too. Uh, I think yeah. what pay-per-view does at least at, at this current moment is it shows that there's value to these, these meets and, and it gives them a, a number at this point. And if somebody wants to come along and, and stack the purse and make them free, then let's do it. Um, and we're, we're totally open to that too. And then we still want to use the gamification elements too. So we could leave the sweet in the pot and allow people to put in too. Um, and, and do other and fan polling and all that, that jazz that we have now, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how that came about. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm a like huge fan of your guys model. Uh, just like you were saying, like, the pay-per-view just being cheaper versus um, doing like those kind of larger membership prices and you guys do like the like sweetening the purse and the fan polling so it almost kind of feels like you're like betting uh, on like the races almost and we've had episodes in the past where we like give our predictions for like races so like it feels a lot like that uh, and we've done like the let's run like contests for like the trials and usas um so i think that adds some like fun elements to the sport what do you think are like the biggest issues with some of those other like streaming platforms like flow track or like runner space plus outside of just like kind of having a subscription i i'm not one to throw stones like i i've That's always funny. liked the, I've always liked runner space and flow track and, and the people that work there. Um, and I like to think that what we do is, is slightly different. And um, our goal within Tracklandia too, and, and through Portland track is not to, we don't want to create many more meets. We want to, and we only want to work a limited scope of meets because we want to be able to put a lot of effort into the meets that we do work on. And, and make those the best that they can possibly be. So we're not, we're not really interested in kind of a land grab of, of different uh, meets out there. I, I yeah. think like even Portland track right now, we're having the conversation of, uh, do we need more than the Portland track festival as a huge banner event in Portland? And the way that the sport is currently, I don't think there's a major city out there that can sustain more than one major meet. Um, Cause it's not like, it's not like we have a team set up like the NFL or, or the MLB where you go to watch your team over and over and over. Uh, yeah. Right now it's kind of these athletes come to town here, like in this event and, and it happens once a year here, whether it's in Rome or Paris or uh, Oslo or Eugene and uh, let's make that one time that they come through as, as big as we can possibly make it. And, and then only add another meet when we, when there's the demand for it. So, um, I think we've, everybody has their work cut out for them in making each event that they put on meaningful and have its own point of view and to separate itself from all of the other meets on the calendar, because, I think what we're really after is is trying to differentiate each special meet from from the other one and make the wins matter in all of them. Because right now, many of them, even the Diamond League meets, like, well, people don't really care who who wins them. It's just what are the times that are that are happening there. But if you look at other sporting events than festivals that happen once a year, like the Tour de France or Wimbledon or things like that nobody's like the the stats are an afterthought and it's 
every year it's who won that event. And right now we only have that in a select few meets like the, the world championships or um, even the trials is like, we're more focused on one, two, three. So can we, can we develop the mythology and uh, have the theming and the culture around an individual meet to make the wins matter in that meet and, and make sure people say, when I go to that meet, I want to win it. And everybody's looking at, at who's going to win that, that event. So that's, that's our focus. And so at, back to your original question about the other streaming services too. Um, I think they're just built differently. And that's, yeah. I think that's great because they do serve a, a lot. They serve a broad audience. They serve all levels of the sport, like from mm -hmm. high school to college to masters even. And that's fantastic. Like that should be there. And People should pay a subscription for things like that. We're focusing on a select few meets that we're trying to develop as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. and, and from, yeah, from soup to nuts, from the, the stage, um, what, the stage design, the set design, all the way to the, um, the music elements and all that stuff. So uh, that's, yeah, it's, it's a little different. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just want to ask like, so, like you were saying, uh, the difference between y'all and like just other streaming platforms or even just television, a lot of times they just focus on those PRs and the times. Um, you know, you want the big names to show up and hit the times. But how important do you think it is for like the track itself, like and just runners in general, to kind of have a storyline within it? Because I feel like that's just kind of like the spark that track is missing. It's like there's no storyline, there's no rivalry. Man. And you, you kind of wait to see for something like that because that's what people tune into. Kind of like like wrestling, for example. Like It's been around for so long because everybody loves those storylines. It could be it's fake, but everybody eats the storylines up, and that's why they keep coming back. How much do you think if you would give a storyline to track, how much more would it excel versus if you're just looking for a time base? I think that's so important. And when we look at, like, one of the elements that we looked at for the Portland 5000 too, and that, that we try to bring to the other events that we're putting on is um, we try and look at it through the lens of having a theme. So when we created that event, it was a, it was a 5000 on the Nike track and there's a forest in the middle of it. We kept going back to this kind <clears throat> of, uh, fairy tale, like monsters in the forest element and to create that, um, that feeling of when you're when you're walking through the forest, like almost like Hansel and Gretel, like you come upon a clearing and there's there's the witch's house or something. Like those there are the monsters. And they're they're superhuman in their abilities. Uh, there are things that only they can do. And and to kind of differentiate them, there were four people on the track. Well, four, there were more than four people on the track because we had a second group running. Uh, just under 15 minutes that night, but uh, it was easier to to d look into each of their abilities and and differentiate them from each other. It's it's a lot harder when you look at a slate of 10 races in a meet, um, and you're just moving from one to the next to be able to do that. But I think that's the you're right, and that's the most important thing that that we need to focus on to develop that that game. Uh, that look inside the game. I mean, have you guys been watching House of Dragon? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like the character development there is is great, and they're using like easy, um, easy levers to be able to do that. And that's where kind of the original thought of like looking into who these people are, what their personalities are, but then pairing them with their skill sets and how they use those skill sets on the track. And then you can create kind of an archetype for them. And this is who that person is. This is their, their player, I guess. Um, and if they do something different to buck that, then that further develops their character. And yeah, and you move on from there. But yeah, like Matt Santrowitz is a totally different racer than than Craig Engels or Jakob Ingebrigtsen or like men's 1500 is is chock full of those storylines right now and yeah they're 
there needs to be kind of a, a deep dive and, and development of of characters for that because I want to see bios up on the screen and that's I mean that's something that we're kind of working on too but when a move is made you can say well this follows this follows in what they typically do or it doesn't uh, and why did they do that like is it because all these other guys were were doing this or that they knew that this person might do this at some point so they're trying to get the jump um, but yeah I think that's that's kind of leans into building the mythology around the the hard numbers too yeah as long as it doesn't end like the eighth season of game of thrones oh man that was horrible <laughs> yeah you talked about like uh just like building more i guess interest uh and if you have enough there do you think there's enough interest right now and do uh, another meet or you still have to like kind of grow more of the pre-existing ones right now I think well, we have Stumptown Twilight uh, that we've we've done in the past, and um, like something that we're discussing right now is Portland Track Festival has a clear identity, and it's it's the the marquee event on the calendar in Portland, and um, and for a lot of a lot of people, it's a it's a big event in the track world too. Um, Stumptown has been hit or miss from year to year, and it's it's dependent on. Stand, like people wanting to hit standards at certain times or or a last chance element but in order to make it an evergreen it needs to have a it needs to have a reason to be on the calendar from year to year i think and uh i i think what the audience has told us and it's becoming louder and louder that is that i mean the way that the sport is structured right now is that people want to hit standards but that's not really what people want to watch like they want to watch the storylines, they want to watch the clashes, and they want wins to matter. Um, I mean, something that a lot of a lot of athletes are are saying, like, well, what can I do to get a sponsorship? Like, I made USA's, I made um, all these other high level meets and into the final, uh, but I don't have it. And and I think like sponsorship is well, one, it's not directly linked to um the sport it there's a number of different factors that go into it like visibility and yeah you're um who you are i guess there, there's a lot that that goes into why a company would want to align themselves with you and, and that you would be the face of what they're selling yeah. um but um i think that what would help a lot of athletes is if they said i want to win this for every race that they went into because then you like you make yourself like you make your intentions known and it's not just oh i'm gonna go there and hopefully i can get the standard and um then just jump on this pack and then kind of leave uh people want to see you be combative in a sport and they want to see you go after and compete with with the other people out there they want to see the the clash of personalities so if you and it it seems strange that in our sport that almost seems taboo to come out and say that, like, I want to win this race. But if you ask any, like any other athlete who's playing a sport, like you ask Aaron Rodgers in the NFL, he's going to tell you who he wants to win every single game he plays. And yeah. like, why is like, that shouldn't be any different, I think. And that's, and so when people show an interest of, of competing in and really like trying to win the event that they're in, then fans are like, Oh, I'm going to watch this because they really want to win that. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah. I mean, and it's a structural problem too, but I mean, it, it can be, it can be shifted that like by, by the snap of your fingers, just like everybody tries to win the race. <laughs> I yeah and i know like you were saying about sponsorships and you knowing like eleanor fulton like before how she's like just done all these races in the past year like just going all out and like pring in so many of them uh from like every distance from like the 800 to the 5k um and i think people are like finally like realizing like who she is and like 
uh, wanting to hear her story, like when she uh, placed in the Fifth Avenue Mile. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we all knew who she was, but I think a lot of people on like the fringe were like, who is this person? Uh, and then she did like podcasts with like Lindsay Hine uh, and just kind of like grow, growing that like story, like you were saying, uh, which hopefully will lead to a sponsorship for her. But yeah, I mean, I, that's it, it all starts with with well sponsorship is based on on the following that you have too uh because largely the reason for for sponsoring any athlete is that the the company that's sponsoring them wants your uh, you to be visible so that yeah. their apparel or their shoes or their blenders can be sold um mm-hmm. but yeah i i think that it's interesting with these these teams being formed too, uh, and that's a big structural shift in the sport. Uh, the teams yeah. are still linked to brands, but it's it's a it's a bigger move into these are full on professional teams instead of just being training groups that are assembled, uh, like the Bowerman Track Club and the Brooks Beasts and Union Athletics Club, like all are on on Athletics Club, which is like. They're amazing right now. Um, So I think that there is that kind of movement to um, more of a a team structure and and what other sports have with, I want, I want to follow this team and this individual instead of I'm just looking for performances because in track, it's kind of like, well, I'm looking for like what the number is, like, what did they do? Like, what is this magnificent performance? But and that can change from week to week to week. So you have a, d- a different favorite athlete all the time. But the way that that teams and athletes and other sports make their money is having a, a fan base that follows you through the good times and the bad. And they feel like they're an extension of that. Like you're you out on the track or you're representing the team in the stands. Like I, I always say that like when I'm watching a football game, I'm not thinking that running back has worked so hard. They deserve to get into the end zone. I'm thinking, <laughs> no, just get in there because I want to win this game. <laughs> like, I, I think that if we can make that shift in track to the fans uh, taking ownership of a win on the track because an athlete like gave that to them, that's a, that's a big change. And, and maybe we're getting yeah. closer, but that would be a big success for us. And, and yeah. success for the, like, I think for financial stability of a lot of athletes. Yeah, I think it's yeah, important to build your brand as like an athlete, but I actually never thought of it on a team perspective where if everybody was on board with a certain team aspect and how much bigger it could actually go other than just focusing on one athlete, but now you're focusing on a whole group and that could honestly definitely make a shift. Um and that's where I kind of like other than the Olympics, you don't really see like a team, you know, meet anymore, like, you know, as you do in high school or college. And I think that'd be something that'd be fun. Like if they would do a team type of thing, maybe do like a draft of different athletes and then they just go at it for one meet, you know, like I feel like that'd be something that'd be entertaining. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that have been tried. Um, I, I think, well, there's a there's a bunch of different. I mean, I can go on this topic for, for hours, yeah. but I made this, I tweeted over the summer and um, I wasn't being totally serious, but um, I said, like, if we allowed countries like national federations to trade for athletes, um, this, like the value of athletes would go up, they would skyrocket because then like the only reason that that NFL players get paid the amount of money that they do is because that's what the market demands. So they know that other teams will pay them more. Um, and so they have to keep upping their, their value and, and even more so in, in the premier league. But yeah, we do have a team system in track. And I love that, that the world championships this year instituted team scoring and gave out a team trophy and scored all the way down to eighth place, I think. So that, that opened the door for even athletes outside of the medals to bring value to what their team is, is doing. Um, so we do have that. It's just on 
an amateur system. And yeah, that's not a that's not a knock at the system saying it's amateur. It it is an amateur system. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not a professional one. But what if we open that to countries being able to trade and pay? Then you'd get like billionaires like uh, coming in, being like, "Oh yeah, I'll I'll spot some money to Sweden or something to like pick up this athlete." Or like, <laughs> yeah, Eleanor could go run for, um, I don't know, pick. Uh, she'd go run for Canada. She doesn't have to go very far. But <laughs> like, if there's a Canadian billionaire, it's like, yeah, I'm funding this like the Canadian national team. Then that would open up that door. But if we had a system like that, I think, and it doesn't have to exist. Uh, we don't like we shouldn't open it up to trading athletes from different countries. But yeah, I, I think the the sport that that is the clearest um, model for us, especially on a distance yeah. running level is cycling, pro cycling. And they have they have world championships. They have the Olympics. They have all of those events where you compete for your your country but you compete for your team through most of the year. And the Tour de France is the biggest meet of the year. It's not the world championships or the Olympics. And that's where you're racing for your team. So uh, you're racing for Ineos, or you're racing for Jumbo Visma or, or uh, EF Easy Post. And like, those are the, they pay your bills. And like that's, and even more so from a strategy standpoint, I mean, this is my own personal desire, I guess, but I would love to see us do away with with rabbits in track races and have uh, teams come up with their own pacing strategy for their top athletes to get them across the line first, kind of like a Bowerman track club uh, pace train. But yeah. like you would have a competing team that would compete with the Bowerman track club and come up with their own strategy to try and get their top guy. Like cycling has that. They have lead out trains where you're working for one guy and that can vary from race to race. Like you can just pick your hot hand from meet to meet, but the goal is to get your team Jersey on the podium each time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of wacky ideas. Yeah. I know people even talked about doing like, uh, kind of like the formula one show, uh, and just like following like athletes, um, and doing like little like circuits and like, different cities uh and just like follow them along to try and grow some interest in the sport which i think would be pretty entertaining to watch i i mean i think that would be amazing i think the reason that they don't do that is because there's such a lack of structure like where are you gonna go like not all the top players are in every one of these meets for like throughout the year they're all going to be at the world championships but then you only have to do a build up to the world championships so if there was more of, I mean, everybody could go, you could, you could mandate that they run at the diamond league, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and, and then you have to make sure that like the wins matter for each of these things too, because it would be a lot harder to create a formula one show, like a, a drive to survive. I think that's the name of it. Um, for like people shooting for time standards, I think. Yeah. <laughs> In my opinion, at least. Yeah. And I know they changed kind of like the qualification standards where you have to like get your uh, standard and like only a few like sanctioned meets now. Uh, and like they upped the standard so that it's harder to hit so that rankings like kind of matter more. So maybe that'll help. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that move. Um, I like the, the shift to rely on points a little bit more so so that it kind of funnels people into racing against each other instead of creating their own um, like separate time trial specific events. Um, yeah. So I think it's a step in the in the right direction. And it still gives me like any meet the opportunity to rise up and become a big meet if they have the resources too so that's cool yeah how much of like portland's culture do you think has played into your guys success 
I think, uh, I think a lot of it, like we, uh, I would be lying if I said, oh yeah, it's because of all, all of our, just because of our hard work and, uh, <laughs> dedication, grit, termination. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, Portland, it's the center of all, all of the big footwear brands basically. So, I mean, New Balance isn't here and Brooks isn't here, but every other brand like Nike's here, Adidas is here, their American headquarters. Um, we on is here too. We have Under Armour, like all of these Hoka's moving here as well. So you have this culture around here and um, track, pro track is interesting too. I mean, when I first came out here 10 years ago, um, it was either the only way that you could really work in the sport is you can go into coaching um, or you could go work for a footwear company. <laughs> And there, there weren't a lot of opportunities outside of that. And I don't know if there, there are these days even, but uh, yeah. So footwear companies really drive the sport and they're all here. And, and that means that there are a lot of creative people here too. So people that love the sport and want to, want to build it up and try new things. And you got a lot of designers out here making interesting things and, Portland is also a place that um, really values quality and creativity. <clears throat> so I think it, um, they take a lot of pride, the people, the people here take a lot of pride in homegrown things and things that are done really well. And I mean, I've been to restaurants in other cities and they have great restaurants there, but they're, a lot of them are just trying to turn tables over in Portland, they'll, they'll come to your table with your food and like place it down gently and like come over and like, Oh, did you like what I prepared for you? And, uh, there's just kind of a different there there's, yeah, there's a different element and like much more of a pride in, in the preparation and the creativity and the delivery for things here. So I think that factors into it, but I think, and I say this often too, um, especially to the Portland track group and all the runners here, but I don't think there's a city in the United States that's better equipped to be a premier track city than Portland. Um, I mean, for one, you have, you, it's a mid-market city. You don't have major NFL teams or, or MLB teams. We have the Blazers and we have the Timbers and the Thorns. And um, Portland kind of likens itself to being a European-esque city, I guess. They like to we like to think of ourselves as worldly and international. Uh, so there's that, I mean, that, that goes well with, with track, but that template's already laid too with soccer, like Portland became soccer city. The timber started as, as a small group that was unattached or unaffiliated with a league and, and the thorns developed from there too. But now we get 20,000 people in the stands for a thorns game and other um, women's league teams get like 2000 people in their stands. So that kind of thing can happen for, for track here too. I mean, Eugene is like that, that will always be the, the Mecca of, of United States track and field. Um, but it's track town. Like it's, it's 160,000 people and it's not like Portland Metro areas over 2 million people. So a lot of the Hayward faithful drives down I-5 from Portland to watch meets in Eugene. And we need to keep that, keep the suds going, keep the washing machine moving to keep that excitement in Portland to, to be able to feed Eugene as well. Eugene is like where people go, they make pilgrimages to see um, like the worst pre-ran and uh, Bill Bowerman's workshop and things like that. And um, I mean, it's it's i'm a history guy so it's yeah. a great like um just beacon of the past but i think like in portland we can push to the future a lot too and they're good counterweights for each other yeah maybe with the blazers probably sucking this year uh you'll get more a few more fans from that i am a blazers fan just to say oh nice yeah well sorry i guess yeah <laughs> tragic <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
uh, just going off on of that, like, what aspects of its city do you think like make it a running city, like other than like Portland? Oh well, I think that there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects that make a city a running city, and it depends. Like, is it a great city for um, competitive track? And, and like and for watching great meets or is it a great city for training um or for like people to go for runs and <clears throat> i mean i've heard people say that portland's not the best running city uh for actual training but we do have like hundreds of miles of trails within the city in forest park granted they're not flat bark chip paths so they're yeah. I mean, they're pretty hilly and, and single track, but it is a fun place to go for a run. And uh, I mean, the temperature or typically doesn't get too hot or too cold. Uh, I think that like, I mean, obviously the ideal places to train are Boulder and Flagstaff. So those are great, great training towns. Um, but I think if you're going to stir up a lot of excitement around the sport and do creative things to uh, push it forward in the storytelling realm and develop fans. I don't think there's a better city than, than Portland for that. And I think you do need that, that sense of community to be able to push that um, because we can continue to have people run fast in front of no, nobody in the stands, but then why do we have a professional sport? Like it's, yeah, it's true. to inspire the masses is for people to uh, take ownership of those wins that they've witnessed to take pride in them. Um, the athletes that live here in Portland for us to count them as our own, as they like go overseas and, and compete against the world in other arenas. Like that's what, that's what it's all about. We've got like sports are, are an excuse for us to use our human nationalistic tendencies and, kind of like evacuate them in a good way <laughs> and and like get rid of them uh instead of going to war with each other that's what the olympics were were about so it was an yeah. excuse to not go to war so um yeah let's get our our primal instincts out and, and uh, i mean i'm a i'm a big college football fan too so i'm very fanatical and, and ridiculous when it comes to my team and people say that that's a ridiculous thing but that's what it's for that's like i would rather be ridiculous in that area than with something that actually matters yeah <laughs> who is your college football team uh the michigan wolverines oh no oh I'm no do we have a school in ohio oh so go bucks oh come on well i guess <laughs> You have to have the other side. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a couple of quick hit questions. So what's a hobby outside of like the track and running stuff? Man. Um, well, I like cycling a lot. So I do that. Um, I'm a, yeah, I'm a fan of, of watching cycling as well. Like just any kind of hobby. Yeah. I guess I would call myself a, I was talking to my wife the other day and I would call myself a foodie now. <laughs> like the first thing that I ask anybody when they come back from a trip is like, what'd you eat? What'd you eat out there? Huh? <laughs> like describe it. Tell me what you ate. Okay. So, uh, yeah, like nothing better than the best gift that, that I could receive is like a gift card to a nice restaurant. Like just, and just go out there and have the night of my life over and over feel that but uh, uh that actually segues well into the next question what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten oh man hmm that's a that's a really good question i i i would say like i'll go with the standard um like tripe okay <laughs> just because that that sticks out to me um I've eaten it in a number of forms. I do like, I actually do like menudo, the soup, which uh, surprised me because like if you're like when you're eating intestines and you think that there could be some leftovers in there, it's not the most appetizing thing, but <laughs> I didn't like it. 
like when we were in Florence, we got it as some kind of spread that you put on like a piece of toast or something. And I really did not like the flavor of it there. So okay. I, I would go with that and, uh, uh, and I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Best Portland brewery. Oh man. Great notion. Um, yeah, I mean, so there, there are a ton of great breweries here. Like I will say for like this town does not have a fantastic sports bar to my knowledge. Like, oh, really? yeah, a place that you can go in. Like, I, I think that it's more about like it, Portland relies so much on like the quality and creativity of like the things that they produce that. I feel like they don't want to have TVs in, in their, their places. Cause they want you to focus on the plate or maybe on the company, which eh, like, <laughs> there's a time and a place for that. But sometimes I just want to go like shove my face full of sloppy grub and watch a game. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, great notion is, is really good. Um, I hear that the cans go for like a hundred bucks out East. Because they don't distribute broadly. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, I had a personal question. Does everyone in Portland have like a lot of cavities or is the dentist market really high because they vote against fluoride in the water? Whoa. I use, you know, I, well, I wasn't part of that, that vote. Um, my dental hygiene is, I've got a good routine. I have fluoride in my toothpaste, actually. I think there's like, point zero five percent or something but i don't know that's a good question we've been locked indoors for a little bit and uh, people are coming out now so i need to pay more attention to their smiles see what they look like <laughs> all right i got i've got some coffee stains though <laughs> and then we have our daddy duo so we each pick two things and we'll pick one at a time and then do a snake draft and then go back so you'll start then me, then Brandon, and then back around. And our daddy duo will be, uh, since everyone should go to events like yours, like Portland Track Festival, it will be events like worst things to like go to, to like leave your house for. Worst things to leave your house for. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, You're like, someone texts you or invites you to something like, and it's like, this is not something I want to like leave my house for. Apple picking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go like, I'm not going to go do manual labor for fun. It's a good pick. I like it. Unless I get to chop down the tree. <laughs> um, I don't know how controversial this will be, but like graduations like i hate going to graduations like i know you're supporting people like and everything but you're there for like three hours for them to like walk on stage for 30 seconds and get their yeah. name called and the rest of the time you're just sitting through like thousands of other people don't get me wrong i love a good speech <clears throat> but like there's there's no surprises for just a list of names being read and people walking across the stage like i there needs to be more work put in by each individual to like surprise me as they as they sashay across the stage um i'm gonna go with my first one being uh like music festivals i guess oh. to narrow it down like ones that are like on the beaches and stuff and it's just super hot outside i just never found any enjoyment in that i don't know why people like it honestly because just being on the hot beach next to sweaty people all day it's just like not my ideal location personally um and then the second one i will say let's do an atlanta falcons game because god i'm a saints fan so it's like that just sucks you know being an atlanta fan so i'll just go with that one. <laughs> oh man okay yeah that concert's interesting. I, I kind of agree with you there a little bit. And like, Music. not like 
concerts aren't bad if it's like inside a stadium there's ac but it's like the festivals that are outside that people just love to go to you know like i just i don't know i just that was never what i like to do i just don't like it personally yeah i will not camp there like that sounds miserable. yeah <laughs> yeah no thanks all right mine uh i was just talking about this with my friends today uh because we saw some uh people older than us going but high school reunions like i haven't gone to one yet but just like the thought of going back there to just i feel like a bunch of people just like bragging about what they're doing now uh is just like not something that sounds appealing at all to me like yeah. if i if i want to see you like i probably am still keeping in touch with you <laughs> noted no uh, yeah <laughs> Good. It's good. I Yeah, it's good to get all this information out here. That way people know. <laughs> yeah, I won't get invited to any more graduations or high school reunions anymore, but... Okay. Don't contact you. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Now it's my turn again, huh? Let's see. Yep. Things that I hate leaving the house for. And, like, this is something that friends, like, friends invite you. So it can't be, like, oh, I've got to go to the DMV or, or something like that. Yeah, like, friends or family. Okay. Um, taking too long here. Can we just say pumpkin patch again? Like, that's, I know I already said <laughs> apple picking, but it's a similar thing. Uh, or maybe any kind of photo shoot. Oh, Ooh, that's yeah. That's a good one. Ooh. Family photo shoots. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't know. That's a solid pick. I love candid shots, but stage, <laughs> stage photos are not fun. Yeah. I think but, most people agree with that one. Well, that's, that's, what, uh, that's what we do these days, though. You show up to group runs, and it's like a photo shoot all the time, right? <laughs> Yeah, you got to publicize a little bit, you know. Yeah, maybe that's a controversial take. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so, but I think Brandon's uh, running group does a lot of photos, so maybe. Yeah, it is a shit uh, shop as well, so it's like you know they're trying to promote. Hey, to each his own. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not knocking people who do like photos, photo shoots. <laughs> yeah. The world's right, before, Instagram models. Well, before we close yeah. out, where can people find you at? Or is there any certain social medias you like to shout out? That way people can find you. Um, yeah, I guess we, on Instagram, we post occasionally on, on Tracklandia and um, Portland Track. And uh, go to the website. We're revamping it right now in the off season. So we're going to have a lot of cool stuff on there trackland.com t-r-a-c-k-l-n-d so that's where you can find all the meets and we'll have a lot of sweet content up there in the future so check that out and you don't want to follow me on on social media i'm, <laughs> I'm hit or miss at best and and i don't post a whole lot but if you do it's jed merle all right yeah great uh thanks for coming on it's great having you yeah, thanks, guys. This is great. Hey, wait, why? I'm sure you get this all the time, but uh, why distance daddies? Uh, that's Brandon a good question. came up with the name. I actually just gave a bunch of names, and Eric, who's not on, you know, he's the PT, so he's very serious most of the time. And he was like, I think distance daddies is my favorite one. And I was like, really? And then it just we just stuck with it, and everybody likes it, so and we're just going to rock with yeah. it. I mean, it's catchy. I like it a lot. Yeah, Thanks. definitely. Um, I think, like, I don't know if I've ever listened to a podcast by by this this group, but I love the name The Backstraight Boys, too. <laughs> I've let them know it a few times on social media, but maybe I should go listen to them if I like the name. But, yeah, Distance Daddies is right up there, too. Yeah, thanks. We were a little worried at first that we would kind of, like, Turn prevent off. any like female listen yeah turn off any female yeah. listeners from listening to us no but it ended up going okay guys it's interesting i found out that women actually do have a sense of humor too 
So, <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. It's it's true. Yeah, it's a good point. All right. Well, great. Hope to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, anytime.